Hey, this is Chad Brown. Thanks for checking out Chad and Nate On Demand, presented by SCL Mortgage, the home of MySpecialMortgage.com. This thing right here. It's a Bud Light Football Friday. Bud Light, official beer sponsor of the Denver Broncos. Here's Chad and Nate. The finer things in life. <laughs> Check it out. Ooh, that dress so scandalous. You know when the handle it. Do you shaking that thing? Uh, who's the ish? I'm looking at eyes so devilish. Uh, you like to dance on the hip hop hops. Kind of an odd segue from the serious topic of last segment to now a little thong song on a Guilty Pleasure Friday. But, uh, you know, just like our musical tastes are all around, all over the board, uh, <laughs> I guess our topical tastes are all over the board. Uh, lots of uh, compliments on the text line. A big O for uh, your vulnerability there and trying to, you know, Spread the word and spread some awareness. Yeah. Um, I, I, I just never want to see a, a person or, you know, um, and just a, a kid or a high school student or a college student or a professional athlete or just a everyday average Joe. I don't ever want to see them ever have to go through any of this. And, you know, I know it's kind of went off on a rant, but it, it's just happening too much in today's rap and hip hop music where it's opioids are talked about like it's a cool thing like hey you need to do this when you're happy or you do this you know when you're you know hanging out with the boys or whatever the case may be and and when you're growing up you're you're easily influenced and and i just hope that people realize that that's not the way to go under no circumstance and exactly what you said chad you know you have surgery yes yes that day the next day you know, I don't know if they if you get day three, good, not do it anymore. No, nope. but it, it should be a policy of like four days max, in my opinion. Yeah, when they give you the big giant pill that looks like a, co- a pill bottle that looks like a, <laughs> a coffee mug, it's got two hundred pills in it. Uh, yeah, I'm not sure if that's the the way to go. I know everyone's situation is different, um, but for me, uh, yeah, one or two days post surgery, and then after that, I'm I'm going cold turkey, my friend. Um, uh, in the midst of uh, our, you know opioid uh, coding discussion in the midst of talking about uh, the Broncos matchup with the Houston Texans this weekend. I certainly don't want to miss uh, talking about what is probably the biggest news of the day. Uh, Sandy Clough came in this morning to the morning show with uh, Mike and Mark and announced his retirement. Hmm. Um, I know you hosted the show with Sandy in this time slot uh, before you left for San Francisco, Big O. Uh, you know, Sandy's clearly not just a local legend, but lo- uh, a legend nationally. When I go around and do games, uh, more than any other host on the station or any other host here in the city of Denver, people ask me about Sandy. I'm doing a game and, you know, wherever I'm at, mm. someone's heard or talked to or had a friendship or worked with or cross paths with Sandy along the way. Um, so, you know, it's Sandy is a more than a legend here. Uh, we always say the great Sandy Clough when we yeah. speak of Sandy. Um, 43 years in broadcasting. Um, an amazing, amazing career. Uh, I wish Sandy all the best. We will miss him here at the fan. We'll miss him on the air. Sounds like he'll be back from time to time occasionally. Um, but he's moving to that next phase of life. Yeah. Uh, I saw him as he was walking out the building and I talked about, Hey, you know, what's up? What's up with your, your travel schedule? What are you going to do? He's like, I'm going to Alabama, Texas A&M. I haven't had the opportunity to do that. Sometimes when you work in sports, you don't get a lot of chance to do some of the, sporting things that you want to do, mm-hmm. that fans do, or that are on that bucket list kind of thing. 
So uh, he and a couple of buddies are going to do Alabama-Texas A&M. Uh, I did that game last year in Texas A&M as a broadcaster. He, it's going to be in Alabama this year. It's a, it's a lot of fun. That's big of a game. Uh, and those in SEC environments are completely awesome and very bucket listy kind of things to be able to experience. So I'm stoked for Sandy. Yeah. You know, sometimes when folks retire, it's a, it's a sad thing. Um, but I see it from a Sandy perspective as a, a job well done. Yeah. Uh, I wish him congratulations and nothing but the best. And, uh, again, hopefully we hear him on air from time to time because I'm sure he's got a lot to add uh, with his great perspective. But uh, congratulations to Sandy Clough. Yeah, huge congrats to Sandy. Um, even before me and Sandy, we had the 9 a.m. to noon show here. When I was a Bronco, I, I from my second, third, and fourth year being a Bronco here, I used to have a weekly show that I would call in and talk with Sandy for about 30 minutes, and we'd do a recap of the game that we just played and kind of just leading into the, the week that week and, and what that game looked like coming up. And, you know, Sandy's taught me a lot. I am not the, the person that I am today, especially when it comes to radio, without Sandy Clough. And when you get a person like that, that that has the knowledge, that has the experience, that could sit there and teach you a thing or two about a sport that you have played all your life. Like, I played football all my life and learned stuff from Sandy. Um, I grew up in Toronto, Canada. I knew about hockey before I knew football. So I, you'd, a lot of people could argue that I'm a bigger hockey fan than I am a football fan. But yet I've learned stuff about hockey from Sandy Club. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. So that's just a testament to the type of person he is, the knowledge that he brought for oh, uh, for four-plus decades on these airways. And, you know, I hope that Sandy enjoys his retirement. And, yes, exactly what you said, Chad. Go do those little fun little things and get, you know, let's go to this game and, and let's go check this out. Because when you're doing this, you know, I, I would be interested to see When's the last time Sandy's been able to, or if he's ever been able to check out a college football game, a big major time college football game, other than Army, Navy, or CU, or CSU, or, you know, uh, Northern Colorado, Air play, Force, right. or Air Force playing, mm-hmm. you know, so, but now he gets those opportunities, which is, which is so cool. And, you know, you're going to be missed. I know that I'm going to be checking in with Sandy every couple, every couple months, if I can, just, just. To see, hey, what do you think about this? This is a take that I have on on something because he he was excellent, and there's a reason why he did it for so long. So congratulations to him and his family on, on a great career, and we're gonna miss you, buddy. You are awesome. Yeah, yeah. So shout out to Sandy Clough. All right, turning to the Not topic. Wow. There we go. I love it. Turning to the topic, I've I've teased a couple times now. Uh, the Broncos' offensive numbers last week: forty-two passing attempts for Russ. 20 total rushes uh, between Melvin Gordon and Javante. Uh, Melvin had 12. Javante had seven. Russ had one carry as well in there. So uh, when you look at those numbers uh, and, and look at this week versus the Houston Texans, what do you want those numbers to look like post-game on Sunday? I'd be happy if it flipped. Mm-hmm. Wow. Honestly, it'd be wow. a 42. complete flip. Uh-huh. I would be happy because if you're running the ball 42 times, that right. that you're ahead, yep. you've been in control, mm-hmm. and the run game has been working, and not only has it been working, it's been dominated. Right? So for me, if you come out of this thing and I say, oh, my goodness, the Broncos went for 42 attempts, I don't even have to look at the scoreboard. I, I, I promise you. It, because it, it – I. Any team that gets 42 attempts, unless you have Tim Tebow at the quarterback position, <laughs> it's going to result with a W. Right, right? Well, unless you're, you're, you're Air Force or, or one of the service academies. Right, yeah, but to your point, but in the NFL, 42 rushing attempts equals a win. i got to imagine 99.9% of the time. Yeah, 
I know we're not going to see 42 attempts, but I do believe that it needs to be a little bit more parity this week. When we talked about this offense at length, we know about this offense back in the day when Mike Shanahan was here. We see all these new, hot, upcoming head coaches, right? We see the McVay get the job with the Rams. We see LaFleur get the job with um, uh, with um, Green Bay. Green Bay. We seen Sala get the job with the Jets, and what did he do? Hey, LaFleur's little brother, yeah, you're going to come be my offensive coordinator, right? right? Mm-hmm. So we see see it and we see what Kyle has done out there in San Francisco everybody it's the Shanahan tree but each and every individual has their little flair on it mm-hmm. right but this tree requires you to have two tight ends out there and you're going to have two wide receivers out there probably about 70 percent of the time but the run game is now built and now the pass game comes off of it mm-hmm. where week one no, that did not happen. Mm-hmm. You're throwing the ball. For, you tried to throw the ball 43 times. I know it only says 42, but Russ had that one rushing attempt where it was a call or design pass play originally, right. Mm-hmm. right? But you only ran the ball 19 times. That's how many times you set up and said, hey, we're going to hand the ball off to our running back. In this system, it's never supposed to be like that because every run play that you run, there's a play-action pass that you have Mm -hmm. off of it. Mm -hmm. So for week one, I just think that they were trying to figure it out and it's the first time with the starters and, oh, my goodness, Russell Wilson's back in Seattle. But week two now, going against a a lesser, a little bit lesser of an opponent in the Houston Texans, I expect the Broncos to get back to what has made this system the system that it is today. And that is establishing the run first and then now having the play action deep shots come off after that. Of all the offensive systems I've ever played against, this is the most difficult one to deal with. I played against the greatest show on turf. I was in the same division with the Seahawks as the St. Louis Rams. Um, so I, I've, I've seen all the various systems, um, but this Shanahan-style system, the outside zone-based run game, and all the play actions and layers of the playbook that come off of that are just so difficult to defend. Some offensive coordinators, I believe, are about the offensive execution versus this system. It constantly wants to put defenders in conflict. They understand defensively what you are taught as a football player, and they want to put you in conflict. If this play looks exactly the same, and as a linebacker, I've got to commit to run or pass, and you put me in conflict almost every single time, that's difficult to deal with. If I'm the backside run defender and I'm responsible for cutback, I've got to get down and defend the cutback. But if I overcommit, well, there goes a tight end to the flat on a bootleg. And we're constantly playing this game. It's a uh, guessing game. It's a constant guessing game for me as a defender, particularly as an edge defender yeah. going against this offense, where I'm always a little hesitant and I can't play as hard or as physically or as aggressively or nor be as decisive as I was like to be because the play design constantly puts me in conflict. So when I see a coordinator like Nathaniel Hackett or a play caller, I guess a head coach here, but a, a play caller like Nathaniel Hackett who runs this system but then doesn't lean on the run game, you're excluding the best part of the system. And you're not, you're making it easier for me defensively when you don't run the ball and you don't, it doesn't even have to be successful. But if you constantly do it, it's always in my mind. You're always forcing me to defend it. Therefore, I'm always in conflict. And when you have a unbalanced play call selection between pass and run like they had last week, then you don't put me in those difficult spots and you make me 
it makes it easier to defend, and you allow me to be much more decisive and play harder and play downhill and play more aggressively. Get me on my heels, man. Make me undecisive. I've already talked about it, right? Why why do you want to put an offensive tackle in a position where he has to go backwards going against a guy like you, Chad, that now this offensive tackle weighs almost 100 pounds more than you, and you're one of the most athletic positions out there on the field? Why not give your offensive lineman an opportunity to lean on somebody where now come the fourth quarter, things become easier? You know, when I was here with Adam Gase, when he was the offensive coordinator in 2013, we started the game off with plantain. It was just a halfback dive right up the middle. And everybody knew that they were running it. Right. The team knew that they were running. They were scripting. They were talking about how they're going to stop it. We started off the game 13 games in a row doing the same thing. But every time we got four yards of carry on it. And that was just because we wanted it more than you. We're going to show you on the first play of the game that we're going to defeat you physically, which now we know later on you're going to be all haywire and completely give up mentally as the game goes on. And that is done by running the football. Uh, When we come back, uh, let's discuss some of these injuries, possible injury replacements, how we expect them to play. Uh, We'll get into the preview of that uh, coming up next. It's a Bud Light Football Friday. Bud Light, official beer sponsor of the Denver Broncos. Here's Chad and Nate. Guilty Pleasure Friday. Bud Light Football Friday. It is Friday. Fry-yay, as my kids like to say. Um, Orlando is filling in for Nate Jackson. Um, Before we took the break, I talked about the Bronco injuries, and what's that going to mean uh, for this week's game? Um, going back a little bit here, um, looking at the injury report uh, on ESPN.com. Um, going back to August 31st, Tane Moody went out, went on IR. Greg Dulcich, now nah, he's on IR. Uh, Michael Ojemudia, IR. So we started to chip away at some of the depth at some key positions back in late August. Obviously, need three or four cornerbacks to be able to compete in this league. Uh, missing uh, Moody took away the backup to Quinn Miners. Now, fast forward here a couple of weeks, Quinn Miners is now on IR for a bit. Yeah. Um, so now you're going to miss that. What does that mean for that right guard position? Calvin, Calvin Anderson was a starter for most of the preseason. Cam Fleming comes and steps in for Billy Turner. When does Billy Turner come back? How did Cam Fleming play? Now, the latest blow was... Now with uh, Justin Simmons going on IR, Caden Stearns will step in for him. Josie Jewell missed last week, which I think showed up on a couple of those long passes to the tight ends in this game. So we're losing some depth, losing some players at some critical positions. Um, And How is this going to affect the game on Sunday? So football, as we all know, is 100% injury rate. I don't know about you, Chad, but me going into a season, I was just praying that it was an injury that I could play through. Mm -hmm. Hey, break a finger. That's fine. We'll just tape that thing up. Hey, high ankle sprain. Might miss a week. But after that, we're going to strongly tape that thing up and I'm going to get back out there. I'm hoping for an injury that I could that doesn't shut me down for the year. You know, fortunately enough with some of these injuries, that's what we've had. I know we've had the the, the two ACLs that those guys are done for the year. Mm-hmm. But now when you look at uh Quinn Miners getting that hamstring injury, right? And going on short term IR. I really believe that the because of the fact the Broncos started Cam Fleming against Seattle and Billy Turner is not ready yet. This might be the best combination that we have with the Broncos, with the, as far as Cam Fleming being the right tackle and Quinn Miners being the right. And um, 
Graham Glasgow being the right guard. Mm -hmm. Because Cam Fleming and Quinn Miners probably had maybe 200 snaps all year together in training camp. But Cam Fleming and Graham Glasgow have had 3,000 because they've been working with the twos every single time they've been Mm. playing in games together. Mm -hmm. They've created that continuity. You know, Cam Fleming understands better how Graham Glasgow is going to step versus a Quinn Miners because he's worked with him more and more and more. When I first made the change from tackle the guard, going with Clady, well, we how we approached it. We didn't want to talk to each other in practice at all. We just wanted to see if we could figure it out because we wanted to make sure that once the season started, that he knows exactly how I'm stepping. We're very little communication. Sometimes you can't communicate because you're in a hostile environment. Mm-hmm. So we would work these things in OTAs. So I think the Broncos, as far as the offensive line injuries that have happened, you're going to be okay. But Cam Fleming has played some football. Graham Glasgow has played a lot of football. But those, more importantly, they played a lot of football in this system this offseason together, side by side. Is there any limitations if you're Coach Hackett because you've got a backup guard and a backup tackling? And before you answer, I think if I'm Coach Everett on defense and Caden Stearns and Stephan and for Justin Simmons— there is limitation. There's certain things I'm just not going to do. Yes. And if Alexander, if Alex Singleton is out there, and I know he played pretty good last week, versus Josie Jewell, there's certain things I'm just not going to do defensively uh, because those guys are out. Now, offensively, Coach Hackett, is the full playbook still available because we had a backup guard and a backup tackling? Well, I, I think not only is the full playbook available, I, I think you could also start implementing a little bit of other things. If you want to implement power, because Cam Fleming and, and Graham Glasgow come, comes from that power scheme. So you could now start having a little bit of one-offs, things that are not typically in your playbook because of the body type and the play style that these two players have done majority of their careers in the National Football League. So offensively, yes, the playbook is still up. There's no limitations as far as what you could do because Cam Fleming's out there or as far as what you could do because of, of Graham Glasgow. Now, you don't want to sit back there and throw the ball 40-plus times every single game because those guys are probably going to get beat once apiece. And we know with football games, just in the National Football League, it's the ultimate team sport. And when a guy gets beat, that that could be catastrophic. That could be like the dagger in the coffin. So you don't want to overdo things, but you still call this offense exactly how you want to call it. But you're just not going to drop back and throw the ball 40 times and, and expose these guys, uh-huh. essentially. Defensively, yes. Caden Stearns is out there now. He, you don't have that fail safe. Right. Justin Simmons. You mm-hmm. don't have that guy that could go out there and get a hundred tackles as the last line of defense for you. You got a guy that hasn't played a lot of football and at the safety position, it's all about angles, mm-hmm. especially if they're that running back or, or whoever's able to kind of bust past those inside linebackers. You have to be perfect on your angle to take that person down. And oh, by the way, nine times out of 10, you're making a solo tackle in that position. So, as I'm, if I'm ever, I'm looking at Caden Stearns and the fact that I lost Justin Simmons. And yes, I am making a little bit of tweaks to my game plan on the defensive side. And I thought that the Broncos should have did that at the inside linebacker position in the first half. It looked like the inside linebackers were trying to play a little bit more man coverage where you don't really have that personnel out there. But it made some great 
halftime adjustments, but going into this game, it's got to be adjustments right now for the fact that you know that you're going to be without Justin Simmons. Yeah, so Josie Jill was still listed as questionable on September 14th. Also, Deshaun Williams was listed as questionable. Randy Gregory as well. My understanding is uh, all those guys came back to practice on the 15th, uh, but then K.J. Hamler on the 15th was listed as questionable. I'm not too surprised by that for K.J. Hamler. It's kind of how this thing tends to go. You come but he back- missed two days, though. Yeah. You that doesn't bother you a little bit? Oh, he, missed, he missed yesterday, Thursday's practice, and Wednesday. I was expecting Wednesday. Right. I was expecting, I was saying, hey, KJ's probably going to miss every Wednesday all year. But the fact that he did not participate yesterday, I was like, oh, man, did, did he re-aggravate this thing? I mean. I just think when you're coming back from two surgeries uh, on your to your, your, your legs, your hip and ACL, and as a wide receiver, the – the volume that you've got to be able to put on your body so you can return by Wednesday or Thursday for practice, he just didn't get that off-season volume in. Um, so, you know, did he tweak it? Did he injure it a little bit? You know, I, I can't say, but I'm not surprised that he's missing practice after having one game out there and putting the volume on his body that he did because his body's just simply not used to that kind of running. Yeah, typically in the NFL, a Thursday practice will be a third down. You're working right. in your red area. You know, Friday's that fast, crisp, and you're running around, you're flying around. But a guy like K.J. Hamler, we saw, what, one attempt to him this past week. Mm-hmm. And him and Russ, you, you clearly see the chemistry is not there. Right. And rightfully so. K.J. hasn't been ev- there every single day during training camp. But if you're Nathaniel Hackett, because you're going against a team like Houston, do you think it would be better that they maybe look at a guy like Tyree Cleveland or maybe a Montrell Washington as that third receiver leading in because K.J. Hamler did not practice yesterday. When you miss the focus day for your particular unit, and yeah. Thursday is the focus day for wide receivers, Monday, Wednesday is typically a run focus day, first and second down. When you miss the third down day of practice as a coaching staff, yeah, I would be concerned, and I would start looking and expecting to play those other guys quite a bit more. Yeah, if K.J. Hamler was a veteran for me, I, I would say, okay, you missed Wednesday, you missed Thursday, we're going to throw you in on Friday, and you'll be, the, you'll be the guy come the game. But for the fact that he is still a young player, this is a new offense that everybody's learning at the same time, and he wasn't able to go yesterday, he did not participate two days in a row I would start looking at a guy like Tyree Cleveland or a Montel Washington saying, hey, you know what, when we go to our three wide receiver sets, it's got to be you guys this week, and, and we, we got to get KJ to, to work that. So they, him and Russ, they build up that report because there's only one target, right? So you were basically out there for no reason, mm-hmm. and there was no no deep thread, and there was no connection. There was no uh, chemistry with, with those two either. Uh, we've got a giveaway, the Mike Evans and DMAC. VIP giveaway, you get a chance to join them beforehand for a VIP experience at Mile High Station during the fan football pregame. Be caller number four right now at 303-713-1043. That's 303-713-1043. And you can win four VIP passes to enjoy food and drink before Sunday's game with us at Mile High Station. Just bear in mind, these are not tickets to the game, but a special VIP experience with Mike Evans and DMAC at Mile High Station beforehand. Good luck, callers. Call now. See if you can get those VIP tickets. We come back. We'll be joined by James Merrillat. That's next. It's a Bud Light Football Friday. Bud Light, official beer sponsor of the Denver Broncos. Here's Chad and Nate. Honey came in and she got me red-handed, creepy with the girl next door. 
Bitches, we were both making love on the bathroom floor. How could I Well, it wasn't me. It wasn't O. It was James Merrillat who picked correctly for the Broncos to lose on Monday night. We are joined by James Merrillat of DenverFan.com. He joins us courtesy of Old Chicago Pizza and Tap Room. Game day is at Old Chicago. Uh, so, um, you know, I've seen you a number of times since the uh, prediction. Um, you know, you haven't turned into a crow, crowing your correct choice. No, no, I wasn't happy about it. I wasn't happy to be right. I, I mean, when that kick sailed wide left, I was as angry as anybody else in the Mile High City and, you know, saying some words in the basement that probably I shouldn't be screaming. But it was frustrating. It was a frustrating game to watch. You watch a team shoot themselves in the foot and lose a game that they really should have won. I mean, there's probably 10 pivotal moments in that game, 10 plays where if one of them goes their way, they they win the game, and instead it was just none of them. But honestly, that's, Chad, why I picked Seattle. It's just that building, weird uh-huh. things happen. Week one, weird things happen. It just didn't feel like a, a, a scenario where, yeah, the Broncos are going to go up there with a coaching staff doing it for the first time and a quarterback doing it for the first time and have it all go their way. It's just it, anything that could go wrong did go wrong. I actually saw a ton of positives, though. I I came out of that game feeling really good about the Broncos, and that's why I wrote on Tuesday, I think they're going to win their next seven. I think they get on the plane coming home from London, and they're seven and one. So, look, I got that one right, and people can be (laughs) mad at me about it, but let's hope I get the next one right, Right? too, and they are seven and one. Then we can look back and laugh at what happened in Seattle. I'm just not ready to laugh about it yet. Yeah, Bronco country will be extremely excited if you're a seven and one football team going into the bye. Um, James... This week, though, you you have them winning this week, but does it have to be convincingly? Like, does it, ha- or can they squeak by this week for this fan base? And you saw how these coaches have handled the press conferences and the questions about what happened on Monday night. And do, so, what do you think this team needs to do just to kind of quiet all the naysayers or, or try to you know get into week three against San Francisco? I think to quiet the naysayers and to make people feel more comfortable, oh, they got to win convincingly. I mean, you're a double-digit favorite, which in the NFL is a huge number. If you don't go out there and win by 10 or more, by a couple of touchdowns, if it's, you know, 19-17 and you do make the field goal at the gun to win it, I think people will be happy they won and kind of the, whew, you know, sigh of relief kind of thing. But I don't think it'll eliminate the questions about the coaching staff. I think that'll be the topic of conversation all next week on this station after a win. Now, if they lose, it's full-fledged panic time. I mean, it will be not push the panic button. People will be slamming it and breaking it. I don't think that's going to happen. But if they win and it's kind of ugly oh, I think people will still be saying, eh, I don't know. I'm not sure I'm buying in on this group. And it's funny because, you know, during the offseason, we're all talking and people kept saying, hey, they, they started two and three in Peyton's first year. Like, people got to be patient. I'm like, no, no, that's not how it's going to go here. It, it, I've been watching this team for four decades, and patience isn't something that comes along in Broncos country and not when you have Russell Wilson and not when it's, uh, you know, you've been watching what they've been watching for six years. So, yeah, it'll be full-fledged panic if they lose on Sunday. And it's the NFL. Anything's possible. I don't think that's going to happen. I will be surprised if it happens. But, yeah, you, you you thought this week was bad with that coaching staff. Oh, my goodness. That would be 
That'd be DEFCON, what is it, 5? Is DEFCON 5 worse or DEFCON 1? Whatever's the bad one, that's what it would be. <laughs> I think it goes up, and that's the more serious one. Uh, the uh, Despite Coach Hackett's best efforts, injuries are already starting to stack up. Yep. Uh, Justin Simmons out for a bit here. Uh, Josie Jewell still questionable for this game. Those are your two defensive play callers. That's the quarterback of the front seven in Josie Jewell and the quarterback of the back end in Justin Simmons. Uh, Quinn Miners now out. Uh, Graham Glasgow replacing him. Billy Turner still hasn't made an appearance yet, so it's Cam Fleming at right tackle. So now we're starting to rely on backups at certain positions. I give you any pause going into this week's game. Yeah, I, I think it definitely does. We saw last week how one backup having to come in and play can blow everything up, right? Graham Glasgow the, in the, the fumble down at the goal line gets a lot of attention. But on that final drive, they had it set up perfect for a little, you know, dink pass to Javante Williams. He had nobody in front of him. He was going to gain 20 yards, and Graham Glasgow got blown up right back into the play, and it turns into a loss that helps set up the third and 18. So, you know, one guy can 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 mess it up for everybody else. So, yeah, when you have to start relying on backups, especially when we saw at times how the backups played in the preseason, the Buffalo game being uh, the, the prime example, it, it does worry me. And look, we, and we went round and round it, throughout training camp, and I was on board with Camp Hackett, Camp Comfort, and, and I looked at it and said, hey, I'm, I'm more concerned with winning the war than the battle, yeah, right? right? And the battle was week one, and, and you never want to give up a game in the NFL, but if, if for the sake of being healthy and being ready to go all year, you come out and you sputter and you're sloppy and a lot of the things we saw in week one, like, okay, I was willing to make that trade off. But I think to be fair, I got to look at it now and say, well, you had all that stuff and it cost them a game. It really did. And now you have injuries, too. Well, well, then what was the point? So, uh, you know, I'm not going to just be so entrenched in my support of Camp Comfort that I can't look at the evidence and go, yeah, I think the guys who played the game and who said, hey, this is going to be a problem. At this point, we're probably on to something. I mean, the, the, the body evidence certainly suggests you guys were right. And, you know, morons like me were off base. Well, they were able to play a close game, though, and and they had an opportunity to to win it um, at the end. But where are you with your confidence moving forward for the fact that, yeah, they did have camp comfort, and that was their first test, and they had to go out there for 60 minutes, and it was a grind, and it was a battle, and Justin Simmons is out now, and you're seeing these other injuries. So because they, they didn't go about it, you know, where it was a physical training camp, where are you with it? This week, as far as the physicality of this team, do you think we'll see a drop-off, or do you think they will continue to build off of what they did on Monday night? No, I think they'll continue to, to build off of it. I, I think the because, look, they weren't going to play, even if they'd have gone the way that teams traditionally do, and really two-thirds of the teams still do, they weren't going to play more than they played in week one. I mean, they, they got a ton of snaps. I think that kind of got them, hey, you've, you've seen full-speed football, you've, you've had the full-speed collisions, you've done all that, so... I think they'll continue to build off of it. And I really look at the way they played in the second half. They played better on both sides of the ball in the second half against Seattle. It wasn't, hey, they came out fresh and they had their script and they were really good early. And then they sort of faded as uh, as they got tired and as the physicality took a toll. They were great in the second half. I mean, defensively, they gave up 44 yards in the entire second half. Uh, you know, they, they obviously figured out what the Seahawks were doing to help Geno be successful. They took that away. And that's why Geno's a backup quarterback. He didn't have a counterpunch to that. So uh, I, I think they'll be fine on that front, oh, but mm. I, I, I'm not 100% sure. We'll find out on Sunday, but I think they'll be fine based on what we saw in the second half on Monday.
Good stuff, James. Appreciate it, my Appreciate friend. Appreciate it, guys. Happy Take Friday care. to you. Same Happy to you. Friday. That was James Marilette of DenverFan.com, brought to us courtesy of Old Chicago Pizza and Tap Room. Game day is at Old Chicago. We come back. Big and Ola and I get into our predictions for what we'll see out there on Sunday. That's next. This is how we do it. It's a Bud Light Football Friday. Bud Light, official beer sponsor of the Denver Broncos. Here's Chad and Nate. During the break, uh, we were looking out of the window, oh, uh, you were pushing back on James Marilot, uh, parking next to your fancy ride out there. Does it bother you that at the University of Texas, there are freshmen who are driving the same car that you are driving? They, University of Texas is giving out Lambos and Mercedes and baller cars as NIL possibilities or NIL deals to incoming freshmen and returning players. They didn't go through what you went through to get that car out there. Well, first of all, my car is a Corvette. It's a lot less than a Lambo. Uh (laughs) It's a little less than that Mercedes as well. Right. Yeah, but uh, I I own a a company out here. I do carbon fiber, and I own the molds for the C8 Corvette and the C7 as well, and, and that's one of my businesses where, where we do carbon fiber and, and we're able, you know, my car out there is, is about 85% carbon fiber, mm-hmm. the, the world's first, like they, there's a bunch of world's first on, on that car, uh, diffuser, mm-hmm. um, quarter panels, you know, they, like people don't do that in carbon fiber. So super cool and super excited about that. But when I do look at what's going on in college football, yeah, it bothers me because when you're 18 years old, why, why the heck do you need that car? I would have been the player saying, hey, give me the Honda Accord, but I want the same price tag. I want the car money. So <laughs> however much that car costs, and so I could start helping out my family. Mm-hmm. You know, when my last game at the University of Miami, Chad, it was January 1st, 2011. I signed with Drew Rosenhaus later on that afternoon. Mm-hmm. I flew back with Drew that night. I did not fly back with the University of Miami after the bowl game. I had to have surgery the next morning. But that afternoon when I came out of surgery... I took out an advance of $250,000 because mm-hmm. I knew I was getting drafted. I knew I was going high. I, I knew these things, but I had to, I retired my mom right. immediately. Mm-hmm. Like, where it's like, hey, thank you for everything that you've done. I got you from here. But so I would have been the kid coming in at 18 saying, the heck with that car. These these fancy things like just even if you want to give me the sh- access to the shuttle, I'll drive that thing around and, and give me the money so I can start helping out my household because that we just came from absolutely nothing. Mm-hmm. But I also subscribe to the fact of when you're giving these guys stuff, how are they going to be ready to work? Like like what's the real mindset when now you're handed that that vehicle, you're handed everything, and, and it's here you go. Guys don't know how to work. Guys are not looking forward to retiring their moms these days. Guys are not looking forward to going out there, facing adversity, grinding through it. You're seeing all these people, oh, I'm not starting, let me go transfer. You know, people are doing that in high school now. Before it was just a, like a kind of a college thing where you had to sit out a year. Now you can transfer and you're playing. Mm-hmm. And now you're seeing high school guys do it where – you're not building up these calluses. You're not facing adversity. You're not really just looking at life saying, man, things are not going to go my way. And how do I make it so it's more favorable to me by working my butt off? You're not seeing that nowadays. So you're going to see a lot of guys as soon as it gets hard and they get hit in the mouth in life, all of a sudden they just fold or they concede. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, there's 
a number of issues with college football currently, um, and the NIL is part of it. Uh, the, the the transfer thing, on one hand, is great. Uh, you know, Nate uh, transfer schools, and so he's always in support of that without having to punish guys to transfer schools. Uh, but at the same time, yes, we don't force these players to deal with adversity and to persevere in the face of that and to look at themselves in the mirror and go, oh, it's not that coach doesn't like me. I'm just not playing very well. Yeah. And so we give these kids this this thought that they get to control the narrative when it's your work mm-hmm. and when your your their production that controls the narrative, not your choices. Yeah. So, you know, it's a it's a weird place in college football. When clearly. I was when I was at the University of Miami, we had this guy, I'm not gonna say his name, but he was one of the top ten recruits in the country. And he's one of my really good friends. And my freshman year I played over him and he was a junior. He was already playing and what would happen with him, he'd have a lot of missed assignments. A couple mm-hmm. times in games, he'd go haywire. And at that point, my freshman year, we had got an offensive line coach by the name of Jeff, um, Jeff Stoutland. He's the offensive line coach for the Philadelphia Eagles right now. And Stout sat there and he said, listen, any one of you guys have a problem with your playing time, come and talk to me. And this guy went and talked to him. And... You know, it didn't go well, and he started thinking about transferring, and you could tell he's moping around, and one day this guy just said, like, man, the heck with this in meetings. I don't, I don't play. Like, you're not playing me. I should be out there. And this guy, this coach was like, listen, my family has, my kids at home, they have a funny little habit. They like to eat three square meals a day, and I'm not <laughs> going to put the, the, the livelihood of my children and the fact that they love to eat three square meals a day and put my job on you knowing that when you go out there you're having missed assignments in practice each and every day where you're not taking it serious so i just truly believe like a lot of people need to look at themselves because if you're not playing football what's the reason behind it are you absolutely working hard enough are you taking it serious one of the best things that's ever happened to me chad was at the university of miami we practiced at 5 30 in the morning mm. it made me grow up at 18 years old mm-hmm. it made me learn how to prioritize things the heck with going out and hanging out with other people but i watched other teammates go out and park in the parking lot and you gotta walk by their car and knock on the door because they've been partying all night and it's just like why wouldn't you go home why wouldn't you just get a good night's worth of rest yeah all right, uh, we got to give our predictions for this week's game. Uh, so you can go first, Big O, as the guest. Uh, and I need to score, big man. Mm. I got this thing as a blowout. A, a blowout? Complete, a complete blowout. I think the Broncos are going to get back to the mentality of, let's see if how fast we could get to 35 offensively. I, I truly believe that just kind of looking at the way that they lost last week and 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 and, and just the misses, the miscues, and I, they're going to be dialed in. You got tape on Houston. You understand what they're trying to do. They want to get the ball to OJ Howard in the red zone. Can't drop him in coverage. They want Burkhead coming out the backfield. Brandon Cook still has the speed to take it over the top. And when you get to look at film and really dissect it and watch tendencies and watch what they're trying to accomplish. I'm going to believe in this young grinder, head grinding, uh, hungry coaching staff and say that they're going to get it done. So I got it as a blowout. I got the Broncos scoring 35 points this week against this Houston Texans team. I got the Texans scoring 14. Okay, okay. Our Bronco picks are presented by King Supers, the official grocer of the Denver Broncos. Um, I've got the Broncos winning, just to be clear there. Um, but I think the... Lovey Smith led Houston Texans. We saw who they were last week. The Colts were a better team. The Colts made more mistakes. Houston played smart. They played clean. 
They're going to allow their opponent to make mistakes. So if the Broncos do not clean up some of those mistakes from last week, I think you can expect a similar result because Houston's not going to go out there and shoot themselves in the foot. I think Lovey Smith looked around and recognized, hey, we ain't super talented, so I don't need to be all aggressive. We just need to be as clean as possible, and hopefully the other team will turn the ball over, do some dumb things. Um, so if the Broncos and Nathaniel Hackett find a way to clean up the mistakes from last week, I expect a win. If not, uh, I expect a closer game, but still a win. I don't see this being a blowout. I see this being maybe uh, 20, 28 to 21 kind of thing. Um, maybe maybe, uh, maybe 28, 17, something like that. Um, it's competitive until the end, but eventually Nathaniel Hackett in the run game, which he stays with hopefully all game long, begins to take over, physically impose a will on the Houston Texans defense, and that kind of solidifies the game. The physical nature of the Broncos' rushing attack makes it a Broncos win. More than 30 rushes? Um, I think uh, your prediction or desire for a flip of last week's numbers is a step too far of 42 rushes. Mm-hmm. Uh, but... I think 30 between all three backs, that would feel like that would be good. If we can get to 30, that would be an indicator of my desire for the run game to take the forefront from an offensive play calling standpoint and recognizing, again, what Javante Williams does psychologically to a defense when they got to tackle that guy. Yeah, you want to start making D'Amico Ryan fear the heck out of Javante Williams and Melvin Gordon. Just as soon as this game is done, these guys are looking and saying, what what, the, what in the world? Why did they switch or why are they doing this? Right? Where you And that's how you really confuse defensive coordinators. When you have a, a week one against Seattle and Russ goes out there and throws it 42 times and, and you know, they don't run the ball as much as they should have. And now you go back now week two against Houston and you run the heck out of the football and you look and you start having that parity where, you know, you have a play action pass off off of this run game or the most explosive run play. That's that's what I would do if I was Nathaniel Hackett. I'd get somebody to start charting like, hey, what was our most explosive run and how do I get a play action or what play action do we have in this week's game off of that same run that looks the exact same? So to these linebackers and these DBs to get them to panic where now we're going to get that big explosive over-the-top play. I am a little concerned that you just mentioned the San Francisco defensive coordinator in the, in the same segment that we're talking about the Houston Texans. Hopefully, hopefully, no one over there at UC Health Training Center is looking forward to San Francisco. They've got all their focus on the Houston no, Texans. Yeah, no, absolutely. You're focusing on the Texans, but... I'm saying right after this game, if you're right. able to run the ball effectively and you have 30-plus runs, a guy like D'Amico Ryan, the, the the coordinator, the defensive coordinator for San Fran that yep. you play next week, he know doesn't what know saying. what offense you're go- he's going to get. Right. So now it's a longer week of game planning, getting ready for the Broncos a week from now. All right, so we both predict a Broncos win. You've got the blowout. I've got a little bit closer. Uh, hopefully that is the case. Uh, and we can hand this thing over to Stokely and Zach, and at some point they'll give you their predictions as well. Happy Friday to everybody. Hey, this is Nate Jackson. Thanks for checking out Chad and Nate On Demand, presented by SCL Mortgage, the home of MySpecialMortgage.com.